Should we do this thing? I wet myself today to see if I can still pee. It relieved bladder pain, but it wasn't my best wish. We're gone. Are you proud of that? I am not not proud of it. Good old Johnny Cash remix from 2001. I wet myself today. Yeah. Good. That that's. I mean, that's actually a pretty. That's up there with your uh, your best Weird Al Yankovics. I feel a little bit imposter because <laughs> I was doing that while we were watching the movie yesterday. You did like the first verse, and I was like, "Oh, that's gonna be a thing." Yeah, it was a thing. I, I sang it to myself in the shower today as I was wetting myself. <laughs> <laughs> I wet myself today. At least I can shower. Can you please adjust the spray? <laughs> <laughs> Make the ten a little. Harder. Can you please adjust the spray? The only thing that cleans. <laughs> Try to wash it all away, but some dirty spots remain. <laughs> My legs and in between. <laughs> we are so mature. Yo, the other day I had to say to someone, like, can you, it's, I, I don't know what the phrase is. We're just going, I'm just getting into it. Yeah. I don't know how to explain to someone that I need you to wash my balls more. We've talked about this, but yeah. it just keeps coming up. Okay. And then a new one is, I don't know if I'm getting older or just more sensitive or more. Emotionally or physically sensitive? Physically. Because <laughs> I've now had to like explicitly ask people to pull my balls out from underneath me so I'm not sitting on them. Hold on. Before you just... Well, that's what I mean. Like, It's like a, a thing that I've been noticing more and now I'm wondering have I just been sitting on my balls for 30 years? Or oh. have my balls like started to sag under me more? I don't think that's a thing. Really? But I mean, okay, no, I, I mean, it, that is a thing for sure. Yeah. Gravity is, is very rude to the scrotum. I'm pretty sure that is how Einstein discovered gravity. It wasn't that an apple fell on his head. It was that he sat on his balls. <laughs> and he was like, oh, E equals testicles longer. It, first of all, it must have been Newton who sat on his balls. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I thought you did well in physics class. Yeah, but that's history. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm not good at history at all. I don't care who invented Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> I mean, it, it it wouldn't behoove me to believe that a prominent physicist discovered like a primary axiom of the nature of the universe because of an adverse effect on his uh, junk. Why wouldn't that behoove you? Because I think the dudes are highly sensitive to changes in their anatomy, especially in that region. Yeah. So it wouldn't behoove you? Yeah. Maybe I didn't use the word behoove correctly. I was trying to say I could totally believe that this is the case. It doesn't behoove mean... Uh, okay. okay, hold on. I'm looking up behoove now. 
The episode is totally on the rails. If you're going to change a horse's horseshoe, you first have to behoove it, and then you change it, and then rehoove it. <laughs> and the person who does that is a hoover. It, it means for someone to be obliged to do something, it behooves you to apologize to her for how you insulted her. So it would That's behoove. an example? That's hilarious. Yeah. I remember learning the word behoove and realizing just to remember it as the opposite of what it should be. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a positive thing. Yeah. So yeah, tell me, um, if you were me, uh-huh. how would you approach... This is what I do. Uh, can you just wash like a bit more? And then they do it and I'm like, yeah, more. But I don't know how to be like more without being like, without them thinking that I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's fine when it's a dude getting me up because it's like, obviously, like when I'm like, can you grab my balls and pull them up a bit? <laughs> I don't think anyone's thinking, excuse me, you want me to touch your balls? Right. But like, I've had women attendants be like, uh, Oh, like you're putting them in a bad position? Yeah, like I'm tricking them. Well, I mean, it's not your fault that they don't know that you're not the type of person to trick them. But it is like a like a this is a this is a minefield. It's a bit of a slippery scrotum, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a slippery scrotum because because I mean, I would totally understand why that that would be on their radar. Yeah, but also. You're not like you're not the type of client who who does that. But also, there could, it could be an open secret that Tony is a excessive ball washer. Right? They might but, all be like, "He's gonna ask you to wash his balls again." They yeah, might just say that. It might be in like the attendant version of the care plan. They have to give me one version, and then they have another with little notes, and one of them is, "You're gonna have to wash his balls a few times." Well, when you ask for them to wash other parts of your body and they don't do a sufficient job, what do you say? Can you please do another pass? Yeah, I try to do it the exact same way. Oh, I get it. So it neutralizes the potential sexual reading of more. Because yeah. they're like, he did it with his armpit. So it, he, it's obviously not sexual. Sometimes I'll like work it in there too. Like something else that I don't really need washed again. I'm like, oh, can you get my armpits and my balls a bit more? <laughs> Just try to like slip it in there. That could seem, I mean, I get it. I get it for sure. Because I'm like, I know I'm not trying to be weird. And I know also that most people probably don't care or think twice. Yeah. Because honestly, what it probably is, as an attendant, you don't want to spend too much time down there because then it's going to feel like you're on vacation and you're just enjoying yourself. I guess. So like you just get in, get out. And then if they ask for more, you're like, okay, yeah, no problem. But like your first instinct might not to be like, you know, get really in there because then they might think you're just having a good time. Well, no, because everyone knows that the point of a shower is to come out with clean uh, genitals. (laughs) That's like the primary objective. Yeah, of course. Everything else is gravy. Like every other part of the body is gravy. Oh, yeah. Like they've been short a lot lately as we've talked about and yeah. anytime they're short and I need to cut my shower it's basically like do you have time to wash my balls so the protocol then is to basically define the process of ball washing for all clients and then you don't have to feel awkward about feeling like you're getting you're asking for a special treatment 
So you want me to be like, how do you wash so-and-so's balls? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying like, there needs to be a rule. Like you gotta, you gotta pull up the scrotum. You gotta unstick it from the legs. You gotta get into the various uh, crevices and pitfalls. I don't know. Maybe there you have some sort of like cream or powder regiment post. I realize mid sentence, listening to you say all of these things as I cringe. Uh-huh. We're gonna need to start segregating certain topics to Patreon only. Balls. When you start saying crevices and cream in relation to scrotums, I rinse. Sorry. I mean, this is a sensitive subject, so obviously it's going to be, I'm going to say some words that aren't going to sit well with uh, everyone. Yeah. Look, I mean, just everyone listening, just imagine leaving the shower before having sufficiently washed your your cash and prizes. I don't think the people listening are, are sitting there going, you know, I think everyone's they understand the predicament, you know? I, I think it's it's awkward for me and the person washing my balls, I assume. Yeah. I assume there is like a level of how much do I have to get in there? There might be a couple of people who think that you should tolerate a certain amount of dirty balls, but... There are. Like, I've definitely... There have been attendants that will be like, oh, they shower naked? Excuse me? A real quote from a real person. Who is no longer employed at your building, I hope. Yeah, of course. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> wow. But yeah, I mean, there is there is an element of that. I do have one attendant who's like a legend. He's my favorite by far, and he's uh, only got like... He's, he won't be here much longer because he's so good. But Is that the law he, of attendance? Murphy's law of attendant care? Yeah. When you're too good, you're too good. Yeah, the world, the world needs you. There are like a handful of people that realize that this is what they're really good at and they want to sort of run it out as a calling. But most people that are really good use it as a stepping stone. To what, get into like hospital administration or something? Like nursing usually. Nursing, yeah. Yeah. But like there are definitely some people who have been here a long, long time or seem to be the type of people that will be here for a long, long time who are very, very good. And I think sometimes you just realize if you do a job well, keep doing it, you know? There are definitely some attendants have been around for years and years and years. Probably could go on to, you know, do something else, choose not to. And I really respect that choice because I value them, obviously. But I also value someone who's like, I'll just do the thing I'm really good at and enjoy doing it. Right. Yeah. I have a question. Do you think that if a disabled part, a uh, disabled person, sorry, what do you think the ratio is of disabled people who, if they became able-bodied suddenly, would be good attendance implicitly? I thought about this. I think I would be a very good attendant. Yeah, you would be. Can I tell you why I think that? Okay. So. Um, recently I broke the toggle switch on my, (laughs) on my power chair joystick. Like, I don't think I broke it. I literally just think that the passage of time broke it as it does everything. So it fell off and I was like, oh, fuck my life. What do I do? Cause it's just a piece of plastic that wraps around a doohickey. You rotate it like 15 degrees and it 
toggles a mode on the joystick. Yeah. So I was like, I can't, That they probably don't resell this part. Like it's just a shitty piece of plastic on a like disgustingly expensive joystick that costs, you know, uh, probably over three grand or something. Yeah. So anyway, I told you that my joystick toggle broke and you within like, I don't know, a day ended up sending me a link to the manufacturer's uh, website like with a, a part that I could get shipped to me for 25 bucks and it would totally address my problem. And you didn't even, I don't think I ever even told you the make of my fucking joystick. You just know, I guess because you fucking Sherlock eyeballed me over webcam and said that I have a specific kind of joystick. Right. I know what kind of chair you have. Yeah, I've, I've seen your chair. Yeah, but you you saw it fucking seven years ago, and you fucking remembered. Yeah, but I... Okay, so here's something about me you can analyze if you choose. Sure. I know what kind of chairs all my really friends have. Is that how you uh, assign social status? Not really, but it's like... Not really? It's like, well, I don't think so. <laughs> if you're a car guy... You know what all your friends are driving. Oh. You're not necessarily ranking them all. Do you have like a sexy reverence for like sports car chairs? Like there are, there are chairs that I would never own, but I really like. And I just wouldn't own them because they're not practical for the types of things I want. But they're slick and they're faster than mine. And like there are certain things, there are certain chairs that I kind of gawk at for sure. And then there are other chairs where I'm like, yeah, I don't really like that chair. It's like funny to me, this potential idea that my inactive dating life could be the from the fact that I'm driving the Dodge Caravan of power chairs or something. I don't know if it's the Dodge Caravan, but it is the same power chair that the woman had in this movie. That's true. Oh, really? Yeah. Hillary Swank, her power yeah, chair? Sure is. I mean, she looked good in it, I gotta say. Yeah, but I mean... I don't think that's so much the chair. <laughs> True. I don't I think you could. She was in a ugly manual chair at one point to look great. She was in an ugly manual chair. And then there, one of the turning points of the film was when she finally accepted that she should be using a power chair. But Emmy Rossum said that the chair, the power chair, is the Porsche of power chairs. So you're driving the Porsche power chairs. Oh, shit. How did I not even realize that I got Emmy Rosam's seal of approval? Yeah. Do you think that Emmy Rosam assigned herself this stage name because she wanted to win an Emmy at some point? Is it a stage name? Well, I just assume because who's named Emmy? That does I've never heard of that before. Oh, I know people named Emmy. Do you? Yeah. Never mind. Do they also hope to win an Emmy at some point? <laughs> Maybe it was her parents' dream. Maybe. And so they gave her a stage name. Is it Rosam? I've only ever read the name, so I don't really know how you pronounce oh, it. Oh, did you think it was Rossum? Yeah, I mean, it looks more like Rossum. I I just say Rosam because she's it's, kind it's of a, a rose. It's one line more than possum. Good point. Or maybe we're supposed to say posum. <laughs> maybe. Phonics. Who knows? What's new with you? You got anything going on you want to... What the fuck is new with me? I, it feels like I haven't spoke to you in weeks because last week we had a guest, right. a wonderful guest, 
Shout out, George. Whenever we whenever we have guest episodes, we don't really talk to each other. We focus on our guests, as we should. Right. And then it was a long weekend, so we were both kind of busy with our own lives. Yep. Because usually we do talk outside of the podcast. Yeah, but we haven't been talking. We haven't. We've mostly just been gaming. Oh, I did send you a picture of me. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, you sent me a picture of you in a barrel. I'm going to assume you were like, how old were you, like nine? Mm, maybe less, but yeah, very young. Yes, maybe like seven. Tony, are you tall? No. I can't believe I've never asked this question before. How does one measure height, like floor to head? Or is it like you lie yourself down on a bed and follow the yellow brick curves? No, I don't know. I don't think you can ad- ad- adequately measure the height of a wheelie because our spines are quite often crooked. Yeah. So I don't I don't care. I think height is a superfluous metric. I present short, <laughs> but I was told had I not had my disability, I'd probably be like six foot four. Really? Just based on like the size of my I have really, really long arms. People tell me I look like an orangutan. I'm also <laughs> hairy, so that doesn't help. Uh, and like huge kneecaps and shoulder blades. Do they call you an orangutan when they're washing your balls? I have to I have to get a specially made backrest to accommodate my huge shoulder blades. Dang. Yeah. So you are a big guy. Yeah, but I don't present big because I'm kind of crunched up and skinny. So I'm still like a small person. You need to get better at describing yourself uh, with flattering adjectives. It's funnier this way. I, I suppose it is, yeah. What am I supposed to be? I'm... I have long buff arms. I'm covered in, man, in manly, manly hair. Yeah, everyone knows my dick is huge, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> Are you just describing yourself now? No. Mm-hmm. I don't bother to describe myself. Well, then if I have to do it, you have to do it. No. No. Okay, anyway... Yeah, so I sent you this picture. Yeah. My mom, my parents came up for family day, and my mom brought some pictures that she had been collecting because for Christmas, I got her a subscription to this service that basically helps her write a book of her life over the course of a year. Yeah, you you were telling me about this shit. It's the most thoughtful shit ever. It's really cool. She's really been enjoying it. And so every week there's like a new prompt and she'll write a bunch of stuff. All of us, like all the kids have been adding prompts and questions to like trigger some new insights. And she's also been going through old photos to try to get to jog her memory or to add photos to this book. Yeah. So she found this photo of me And it reminded me a lot of my left foot because it was like this homemade, basically particle board, like plywood box. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. Like a trailer made for a bicycle, just a wooden square cube that I was sitting in with a helmet looking pretty happy to be there. Yeah, you looked like you were very comfortable in that setting. And that it was incredibly normal for you. Yeah. And the one thing that I have to say, or one observation that I must make, is that it seems like your parents made a rule for themselves when they adopted you 
uh, to go as long as they could without putting you in an actual like ergonomic and proper wheelchair because <laughs> they are totally like orthopedic <laughs> MacGyvers. Like I do not. Didn't you tell me that you were commuted around on a fucking little square scooter that like primary school students use in like the gymnasiums? I do have a square st- scooter anecdote, but it's about pulling other kids around in it. Um, so I started in something very similar to that. It was like this red seat with wheels on it, and it was right off the ground, and it had this super long handle sticking out the back so that somebody standing could push it around. Why? Like, were they afraid of, of uh, common sense uh, solutions? <laughs> I think they just wanted me to be really cool. At the very least, it... Are, are, are they saying like you were a hipster cripple? Yeah, I was like, I was too cool for wheelchairs. Yeah. I got my first wheelchair when I was like five or six, probably. Mm-hmm. Even it was like a strange looking wheelchair. It had huge back wheels. Maybe that's just how wheelchairs were at the time. No. <laughs> Says Scooter Man. No, we had a, a high quality quickies. For our childhoods, my sister and I did. Really? Our wheelchairs were always sexy. And then you just downgraded? <laughs> yeah. You were yeah. like, I am too cool. I'm getting too much attention. When I was 19, I decided not only to go without a student support person, but I also decided that I outgrew conventional and common sense mobility aids. Right. And I was going to get out into the world in the most impractical way possible and live independently. I'm surprised you didn't just use a, a walker and those shoes with wheels on the bottom. Uh, rollerblades? <laughs> Remember, like, in the 90s, those shoes that had the wheels on the heels? Heelies? I wasn't allowed to wear those because you couldn't get foot orthotics in them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. My parents definitely did MacGyver a lot, though. I got my first wheelchair a little older. I think it's just because they kept... Expecting me to not live because they were told I wouldn't, right? Motherfucker, I can't believe that is like a a theme of your upbringing. Well, I mean, yeah, it's not my parents' fault. Okay, Anthony, you're going to die in three weeks. Here's a wheelbarrow. Like, (laughs) what the fuck? I think they were given four. Four? (laughs) But yeah, so they were like, you know, why, why get a wheelchair? So I had this scooter thing. Yeah, way too expensive. The commode that they wanted was too expensive. So my dad, not kidding, made a commode No, out of wood. No. How do you keep that clean? He got wood. No. Yes. No. He made a, a seat, put casters on it, just got a bunch of parts from the hardware store, cut a hole in it, and put a toilet seat in the hole. Oh, my and God. And that was my commode chair. Oh, my God. Yeah, I hated that thing. I cannot believe how your patience has been tested throughout your existence. It's definitely made me more patient. Now I have, I I splurged on my last commode. I didn't realize until this moment in my life how much I could value a good commode. Should we not assume that people know what that is? I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's too inside baseball. Wait a second. Wouldn't a commode make it easier to wash your balls? Because they don't, like, they could just wash your balls, like, hanging. Yeah, I don't think it's about not being easy. I think it's just, honestly, 
People don't know how long to linger. Mm, so annoying. Linger until it's clean. Because there are some attendants that they really get in there. Yeah. And I always appreciate them. But there are some who kind of just hope for the best. <laughs> and They're playing pin the tail on the donkey? Yeah. It, it really feels like at that point they just go blind. Yeah, that's so frustrating. I have to be like back a bit, forward, left. Yep, that's it. You need to invent some kind of smart shower app that like flashes green when your balls are clean. (laughs) So when they play pin the tail on the Tony, then it'll like make a noise, like a a rude noise when they're not being sufficient. I had a similar realization years ago with my teeth. When I first moved to Carlton, I realized that attendants would try to brush my teeth for as few seconds as possible. So I do that thing. I'll be like more, more, but you can only say more so many times. So with an attendant that's really trying to cut their time, I say more like three times and I still only brush my teeth for 15 seconds. That is insane. Yeah, it's nuts. And I pride myself in never having had a cavity before. This has been a recurring topic on the podcast. Very proud of it. Also because I'm so scared that when I do first get my when I do get my first cavity, they're gonna have to break my jaw or something to get in there. I yeah, I know, and it's something I don't want to think about. Yeah. So I'd rather just spend a couple of minutes every time brushing my teeth to help stop that. So I got a toothbrush that turns off after two minutes. Ha-ha. And so now I just have to say it'll turn off when it's done. Yeah, so what you need is a ball loofah that only stops frothing. Exactly. It stops frothing after four minutes and you got to really get in there. Four minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you should be washing your balls long, twice as long as you brush your teeth. Or or you have to make like an automated ball washer. What is the amount of time that you think is socially acceptable for me to ask someone to wash my balls without me being... 70 seconds. 70? Yeah. Yeah? Yep. 60 is not enough. No, 70. 60 seems like a long time. It's not. It's not, especially especially if it's really necessary. Even like the best ball washer has probably washed my balls for. I'm gonna time it. <laughs> All right, next next episode, <laughs> ask me and I'll I'll give you the mean ball washing time. <laughs> it would be funny to get like like chocolates or something for the person who who washed <laughs> it the most thorough. I could put a chart on the wall <laughs> and people like try to beat everyone's record. She washed your balls for three minutes yesterday? Oh, I can beat that. (laughs) Yeah, you got to make it like a key performance metric and shit. (laughs) (laughs) The performance metrics they have for the attendance, I stopped filling them out because they'll send me every three, every time there's a new attendant, three months after, like management staff will send me a thing asking me, to review an attendant. And the questions that they ask me, I think I can remember them because there are three. Do they wash their hands? Do they arrive on time? Do they wear appropriate footwear? <laughs> That's it. What? 
That is how they decide if they should keep an attendant. That is absurd. Yeah. And then I think there is one like open-ended, how would you rate this attendant? But it's like, well, based on the above, they seem to wear good shoes, so I guess I'll give them a 10. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not even like low barring it. They're, like, the bar is not even there. Yeah, it's like, is there an attendant? Yes or no? <laughs> would you have ever answered no (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you know when I find this attendant who does not deserve a yes (laughs) anyway that's my update really yeah I wish I could give you an update there really isn't much going on uh, with me lately, we're going through a deep freeze right now in Thunder Bay. And so mm-hmm. my biggest problem is like I'm having trouble staying warm. Like I can't keep my feet warm. And it's like an actual problem this year for some reason. Yeah, I splurged. Well, you know, I think I've even said this on here, but I bought a fireplace. Yeah. I've always had a really bad attention span for watching movies. As you know. I do know, yeah. Um, So, obviously, in an effort to be better at watching movies for the podcast, and I'm trying to consciously improve my attention span, because it is really bad. Remember when I was, when we watched Fraser, and my whole point of view was that Martin was a wheelie, and you didn't realize that Martin was a wheelie? (laughs) (laughs) Because I hadn't watched the episode, <laughs> even though I was looking at it. Yeah, yeah, you were like, yeah. I started giving you my theory like 40, 40 minutes in, and you're like, what the fuck are you talking oh. about? Yeah, <laughs> and then I rewatched it, and I was like, oh, yeah, checks out. Thank you. I think I literally responded, who is Martin? <laughs> you really did. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I'm going to be talking to myself this episode. But then it turned out to be really fun. Well, I rewatched it. (laughs) Yeah, thank God. Yeah, so I got a fireplace. And now I can sit and turn the fireplace on. And that is enough to keep me glued to the TV. So I actually rewatched today's movie. Because same thing happened yesterday. I tuned out like halfway through. But then I felt guilty because I'm like, you know, how can I give a fair review of something that I've only seen half of? So I rewatched it today, put the fireplace on, turned all my lights off, put my phone on. Like, it's a thing. I'm really bad at sitting through a movie. I can do it in a movie theater because there's really nothing else going on. I arguably have the, the opposite problem to you. Which is that I get fully engrossed in a film. Do you get annoyed when people are talking over you or over a movie? You know that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mute myself sometimes. It, it's like, it's like, it's the closest I come to speaking out of turn at you. It's like, <laughs> if, if you like ask me a question during a movie, I'm like, Tony, <laughs> Hillary Swank is trying to speak. And then you're like, can you rewind? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pissed off. Yeah. Sorry, dude. No, it's fine. I deserve it. <laughs> so, and seeing as that you've seen this movie twice, can you give us a brief synopsis and title for today's film? So, we watched a movie called You're Not You. 
and it's about Hilary Swank, who gets diagnosed with ALS, and the movie sort of starts with her fully able-bodied, uh, and then very quickly, like, she notices a tremor, and she has this kind of perfect life, rich and successful, and has a great loving relationship and marriage and good friends and just that very elegant, sophisticated, successful, put-together lifestyle. Yeah. And she's playing piano, as all elegant, sophisticated, rich people do. Mm -hmm. At a cocktail party in her living room, no less. For her 35th birthday. Yeah, for her 35th birthday. Basically, little things start happening where she'll miss a note on the piano and her friend will go, well, that's a first. Yeah, yeah. She'll like drop something and that's weird. Then she stares at her trembling hand and realizes realizes that something must be up. So then it kind of just fast forwards 18 months and she's sitting in the shower and her husband has to like basically take care of her. And the movie sort of starts with Emmy Rosen auditioning to be her attendant. Yeah, her replacement attendant. Yeah. Um, that was a good synopsis, Tony. Thank you. It's, it pays off to watch it twice. <laughs> I have a question for you. Do you think this movie holds up to repeat viewings? Well, I had a little bit more of a positive reaction to it the second time through. Okay. The first time through, I was kind of annoyed at the movie. It felt manipulative and not fully thought out at parts. Um, and I still feel that to a certain extent. But watching the movie again and just sort of committing myself to it, I wasn't distracted, so I was fully emotionally invested in everyone. Uh-huh. It did get to me, I'll admit, I cried at the end of it even though I didn't want to because <laughs> it was very manipulative crying. Yeah, those these movies, like, we've watched a few weepies. Obviously, like, we've always said, watch the movie before you listen to this, but just like Chekhov's Cripple that we referenced in the last episode, where George came up with a pretty sweet sort of theory that if you see a really... In the first act, they're going to be cured or dead at the end of the movie. Yeah. And this is the case yet again for this movie. So much so, re-watching it, it really kind of felt like the movie was less about Hilary Swank's character and more about Emmy Rosen's character. Yeah, it definitely, the entire film is viewed through the lens of an able-bodied audience. And it's all yeah. it's all the superficial and overly dramatic manifestations of able-bodied anxiety toward disability. This is nothing new at all. Yep. In fact, I would say that this is like a, a textbook genre picture if we want to say that Chekhov's Cripple is a genre. I, at this point, I think it is because there are at least a dozen films that belong to it. Yeah. And this is basically another execution of that. One detail that you missed in your... Uh, synopsis was that uh, the film opens with Hilary Swank being able-bodied and the very first scene is a sexy shower scene right and uh, the movie is obsessed with this shower like it appears uh, in at least four scenes throughout the film there's there's a solid probably 10 minutes of people in a shower 
No, meant 10 is probably generous. It might be six. But anyway, it, the shower is a recurring character in this movie. And it opens with that sexy, steamy two lovers still at the beginning of their uh, loving marriage, uh, boning before a birthday. And then when Hilary Swank has her like house MD moments of like, oh, she's showing symptoms. You're like waiting for her to be. You're waiting for the arrival of the wheelchair. Yeah. When she has this birthday party where she misses a couple piano notes and she drops a cup and she exhibits other behaviors typical of someone uh, with an oncoming disability, uh, it cuts to one, a year and a half later. And the first thing that they're doing with Hillary Swank the wheelie is is staging another shower. Only this time she's seated uh, with her shoulders sunken and her husband sort of methodically washing every inch of her body and it's totally sexless and the score is really somber i don't even think he washes her it actually just cuts to the showers over oh he's pulling her out right he's pulling her out and then putting her in her chair but you're right there is this theme of showers because then later in the movie emmy rosam is showering Hillary Swank, it's very intimate, not sexual, but like Emmy takes her shirt off to just really like be in the moment with her. Yeah. It's sort of this turning point where there's, it's almost like I used to have these intimate showers with my husband, but now he's so emotionally unavailable and physically unavailable mm -hmm. that you almost replaced her, him. Yeah. It's the, it's the only other scene of intimacy in the film is when Emmy Rosam eventually asserts herself as a useful and empathetic attendant. And yeah. uh, Hilary Swank has this relationship crisis where she discovers, obviously, that her neglected husband has cheated on her and she doesn't know how to process this. So it's like her first shower after the after the realization of infidelity and it just so happens to be intimate in a non-sexual way although she's not using soap which is hilarious because it reminded me of my showers where i'd be like all right uh more <laughs> right right it does seem like you know if hillary swank had dirty balls that uh that emmy rosen would make sure they were clean funny thing you say that because there is a scene earlier on where Hilary Swank has to pee and Emmy is wipes her and Hillary's like, can you wipe harder, please? And that is another very uncomfortable statement to have to say. Yeah, so th this is an extremely obvious statement, but anytime somebody chickens out on performing the task when it comes to personal hygiene, whether it's wiping or scrubbing or brushing, they're literally just waiting for the moment to be over. Like part of them yeah. subconsciously is like, I can't believe I have to do this. Like, okay, I'll just quickly get in and get out. It's a necessary evil. Yeah, necessary evil. It's like it, it's like they're like pissing in an outhouse yeah. or, you know, pull, pulling a tooth. I don't know. They just want to rip the Band-Aid off. And it, that's totally the wrong way to look at it. Like the truth, the truth of the matter is that you should never have to ask 
somebody to clean your balls more thoroughly, if somebody actually thought about what they were doing for you, they would know that they need to spend a little bit of extra time on on these little intimate moments. Because again, personal hygiene is a cornerstone of personhood and it's of feeling good and and present and worthwhile. Like you got to fucking do a good job. And so <clears throat> there are little details in this movie that I think sort of make it in a, like a decent entry, entry in the genre of Chekhov, Chekhov's cripples. But still, its membership in this genre like is a huge blight on the movie, of course. Right, exactly. I kind of wanted to joke that this this film should be called Wheelchair the Movie. <laughs> <laughs> Why this movie specifically? Well, this one seems to be emblematic of all the tropes that we are constantly harping on about. Like it, it, it checks off basically all of the major the major tropes, right? Yeah. So I think one thing I felt with this movie was that it kind of felt like the no-name variety of some other movies that we've complained harshly about for a lot of the same sins. Yeah. Like it didn't seem committed ever to what it was doing, but it always wanted to be doing it still, if that makes sense. Like, Specifically, I noticed that her disability or like Hillary Swank's ability levels were pretty fluid throughout the movie. And I don't think that was supposed to be a product of her diagnosis or her progression through her disability. I think it was just that sometimes it served the movie better for her to speak very clearly. And other times, it served the movie better to have more of a speech impediment so that Emmy Rosam had to translate for her. Ah, uh, so her her, her ability level was sort of congruent with the, with the goal of the scene. Exactly. Like she, was, she was as able as served by that point in the story. Like, for example, remember that scene where... We're jumping around a bunch, but whatever. Yeah. There's a scene where Hillary Swank is walking with her walker towards a flight of stairs. Yeah. Her foot's like dragging on the ground. She has crip feet and like one of her toes is curled under. In her wheelchair, her foot is always turned inward, like to, to suggest that her feet are, you know, really feet that we've talked about. But then there are other scenes where She's lying in bed or she's in the pool and her feet are just absolutely normal. And that's a minor detail, but it was like, it made me think that she's just contorting her feet for the drama of that scene. Yeah, it's a cripple continuity error. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also like, at one point in the movie, she got herself out of bed somehow. Like really quickly too. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are other scenes in the movie before and after where she needs help feeding herself. So I understand that like ALS has ebbs and flows. It just felt like it was more to serve the plot rather than like a, a study on the progression of this disease. I would agree with that. Yeah, totally. Um, there's one clip. Well, okay, so it's just uh, Hillary Swank 
announces very suddenly to her husband at the beginning of the movie that she's fired their uh, original attendant for her because that person treated her too much like a patient. Uh, Mrs. Trotter say she was going to be late. But she's not coming. What do you mean? Is it all day she's not coming? As in, I let her go. Wait, 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 what? She made me feel like a patient. I'm not a patient. Kate, Kate. We we finally found somebody who was efficient, somebody who I can trust, somebody who can be flexible when I'm running late. You can't just be making these decisions without... Let me call Miles and see what I can do. I'm interviewing for a replacement, okay? I kind of like this initial exchange between these two um, because their marriage is strained because the husband has started treating Hillary like a child. Like he's he's a he has parental obligations toward her, so he's trying to define the um, terms of her care uh, so that it best suits his work schedule. And I think a lot of like wheelie caretakers do this. So this is a small detail that makes sense to me, but I also think that this is more in service of the marital infidelity uh, plot that eventually unfolds than it is in trying to like really explore the real ramifications of suddenly of someone suddenly incurring a disability or whatever. The interview played a lot like the interview in The Upside too, where Hillary Swank, the disabled character, wanted to hire someone and then the caregiver or whatever wanted to hire the perfect candidate. Right. And the disabled character just wanted a person that they could get along well with. Yeah, somebody where they had some freedom to kind of um, massage their optimal autonomy with or whatever. Exactly. Someone who wasn't invested in like controlling them, but rather just like needed to be a surrogate or something. That is, that's real. And that's, uh, that's an aspect of the, that's a positive uh, forward momentum of the movie that it sort of sticks with and it does sort of spend the film repeatedly making the argument that emmy is good at her job which i would agree with and i do think again this is something that i tend to fall for in these um, Chekhov's cripple films whenever there's like a good friendship or like there's good chemistry between the attendant actor and the the cripple actor i uh I root for it. I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I like Emmy Rosen a lot. She's very good at playing this sort of disheveled, trying to break free character. Her character in this movie isn't very dissimilar from Shameless. Right. Yeah, she's really good at uh, at that particular shtick. I, one yeah. funny thing that I noticed about her character, like she's a functioning alcoholic uh aspiring musician who is shown to be quite smart but she has a an affair with one of her professors she can't ever seem to make it to class she's chronically late for work so they they portray her as a total mess but it's okay cuz she's in her early 20s and so there's this idea again of the restorative power of helping people like just by being in the orbit of Hillary Swank she's going to become a better person. <clears throat> and that's a trope again that I hate, of course. And I thought it would be really funny. And like, you know, if we could, uh, if we developed this like 
a disabled self-help guru <laughs> that promised that like, hey, you know what? If you come to my house and be my attendant, you will eventually realize your dreams <laughs> and rise rise out of your mediocrity and be the person you want to be. Yeah. So that you just have the person over and you're like, oh, I dropped my pencil. And, you, and like, oh, I, I like you make them do like inane things for like a week. And then at the end, you're like, so are you going to go pursue your dreams yet, motherfucker? <laughs> like, no, you just keep pushing the envelope. You'd be like, I'm pretty sure after a week of helping me with the urinal and washing my balls extensively, yeah. you will realize your own true potential. And then a week goes by and you're like, I can see it. I can see that sparkle in your eye. Yeah. I think you just need and cook me dinner like a few more times. Yeah. I, if you could go ahead and re and refill the air in my manual chair tires, you're definitely going to get into nursing school. Yeah, I can feel it for you. All you have to do is vacuum my couch again, <laughs> and I think you're there. If you could go ahead and not tell uh, the attendant care program that I have a pet cat, uh, you will for sure uh, make it into your computer science program. That would be a hilarious sketch to just start exploring people's need to fulfill themselves by helping you. Yeah. Because that is a thing, right? Like, uh, I know personally people that do this attendant care job for themselves, which sometimes that's okay if you're doing a good job and it's you also end up feeling good. But there is something a little gross about it when they are just a means to your own personal satisfaction yeah i always have this talk with like non-wheelies um or at least i've had it a number of times with close friends about like your motivation for helping someone does kind of matter even if the end product is that the person gets helped yeah like especially if you have to spend every day with this person like if it's clear to you that they think higher of themselves merely because they're helping wheelies, like like they can go fuck themselves. Well, because then if you think like that, eventually you'll feel good enough about yourself that you can just stop helping wheelies. And that's not a great motivator. Yeah, for sure. There's also a, a hierarchical element of it too. Like if you seek affirmation from helping wheelies, like... Some part of you thinks you're better than the clients. Right. And that immediately makes you a compromised attendant. So there is a moment of this in You're Not You where Emmy is not using soap but using a loofah to wash Hillary Swank. There is that moment where you can see Emmy is like, I don't know, you can't, you can't assume what she's thinking, but there is this sort of unspoken epiphany that happens for her in that shower where she's like oh i really want to help this person the turning point where she decides to take the job seriously yeah and she decides to get her life together in order at least to be a better caretaker for hillary swank who she perceives to sort of be living in the remains of somebody else's life that that's actually one part of the film that i really appreciate is the Hillary Swank's home at the start of the movie? It's like perfectly emblematic of her social status, and she looks like she belongs in that house. But then, um, after she gets disabled 
like most of the shots of the home are kind of poorly lit. Like she always looks sort of uh, inconvenienced wherever she is in the house. It's really hard for her to get around. Her husband's either carrying her or she's sort of pathetically limping throughout. And it sort of creates this idea that uh, obviously inaccessible spaces are not very homely to disabled people. (laughs) And so her, her former home is now deeply alienating. And you, you get a sense just from the sort of like the coldly geometric architecture that it's not conducive to her life. I don't know how to fucking explain it, but it's really subtly conveyed and something I definitely relate to. And um, as the friendship between Emmy and Hillary sort of blossoms, they spend more and more time outside in open spaces and flat surfaces places where she can bring her chair. And I think that's very deliberate. Uh, so there are some little clever decisions that this movie made, despite having a kind of a stupid script. There are. There's also some very cruel uh, staging. After re-watching this movie, I noticed that they, they did stage some of the shots very cleverly. One particular one that I noticed near the end of the movie Basically, Hilary Swank has this very uppity family and realizes through the process of her life and then also her diagnosis that she doesn't really identify with that lifestyle, knows that through that, her parents are going to try at all costs to keep her alive and functional and all the things that vain people want of a disabled person yeah but it's always on their terms never on hers exactly and so she realizes all this and tells emmy if i ever get to the point where i'm gonna be on a ventilator living in a hospital room for the rest of my life don't let that happen to me i'd rather die peacefully or die alone die at home and so hillary swain gets sick ends up in the hospital and her family's there, but she and Emmy have had a falling out, and so Emmy isn't there. But in the will, Hillary Swank says, in case that I'm incapacitated, I want Emmy to make the decision for me, basically knowing that she's the only one that would uphold her request for a DNR. Right. And the way that they stage this one particular scene is really cool because there's a window and then a door. The window is looking into the the room where Hillary is. The door is also looking into the room and uh, her family, so her mom, dad, and husband are standing in the doorway and then Emmy comes in looking into the window. They explain the situation to her. So Emmy goes in, closes the door behind her thereby blocking out all of her family behind the door. Yeah, and the the family very conveniently fits into the frame of the hospital room window. Yeah. So it's like very concisely compartmentalizing the family away from this big decision and establishing that Hilary Swank's true family is Emmy Rosen. Yeah, it was one of the smarter headier moments of the movie 
I would say, and it resonated with me. There are other sort of uh, later in the movie when Hillary and Emmy have a falling out. Her husband comes back into the picture despite his infidelity, which I kind of hated. And she ends up having to reconnect with her family, which is successfully frustrating for the audience because we see the way that Hillary's mother chooses her clothing and how she presents herself and brings her to family events that she previously had no sort of uh, desire to attend. And so you sort of see the consequences of not surrounding yourself with the, with the kinds of people who uh, don't necessarily respect who you are and think of you as more of a task rather than a person yeah. to be cared for. Um, so all of those elements and like the, the, the evils, the, the villains of the film are effective in their subtlety. Yeah, there's another part where nearer to the beginning, before Emmy and Hillary have reacquainted, Hillary's husband is putting her to bed and then mixed into all this is a cut of Emmy hooking up with some other guy. Basically, the superimposition is implying that after we saw the sexy scene of Hillary and her husband in the shower, now their life is very much just care and none of that is sexual in nature and they're they're, they're in a basically sexless marriage now and it's sort of cut with Emmy getting laid and Hillary wanting to get laid. It implies that Emmy is living the life that Hillary wants, right. that she is not repressed. And so Hillary wants to get laid, but her husband doesn't want her anymore. Even Hillary's old social circle, because they're such superficial bitches, they have no idea how to react to Hillary's disability. And they shower her with conventional platitudes. You know, honey, you're just tired. It's going to be a lot easier once you get stronger. I'm not getting stronger. So please don't say that. I just, I just hate when people say that. We're just trying to be positive. That's all. I know. All right. So Hillary's previous social circle has no idea what her new life is like, nor do they appear to have any uh, desire to understand. And so she stops hanging out with her friends because they are reminders of the life that she left behind. These are things or ideas that were potentially explored better in Penguin, Penguin Bloom. I like that this movie kind of did focus on how becoming disabled can make you more authentic and closer to the people you want to be close to. There was an element of that. It wasn't explored nearly as much as I wished that it was but it did sort of touch on the understanding that disability breeds intimacy right by nature of you know being forced to be more connected to those around you yeah and to be vulnerable in ways that you can't control yeah were it not for the performances though I don't think I would have tolerated this movie at all. Like my yeah. fa my absolute favorite part of this movie, and I don't know if you will agree with me, but what kept me invested was Hillary's oddly uh, muted performance. She's very gentle 
and like obviously very frustrated with all these changes that are occurring uh, at an overwhelmingly quick pace. And, you know, when she goes through the heartache of realizing her husband is cheating, it's quite palpable. But she still seems like such a, a warm individual. And I think I think that's part of her performance. Like, I don't really I don't think that's just her overall vibe as an actress. I thought it was a really interesting approach because there is a tendency to want to overact these kinds of roles. Like I, I could even you could even argue that Daniel Day Lewis uh, goes a little bit far in my left foot. And for Christ's sake, we all know that Eddie Redmayne can go to hell. <laughs> I really did like Hillary Swank in this role, and I know she's not a wheelie, and there's no excuse for that. You know, I mean, the movie was made in 2014. It's a relatively modern film. Uh, This is also her second crack at a wheelie movie. I mean, you can argue, and we will eventually watch uh, that boxing film from Paul Haggis. I can't remember what the fuck it was called. Anyway, that doesn't matter. The point is, we will be revisiting Hillary Swank in in a wheelie role eventually. But she doesn't really, she doesn't really quite uh, affecting job in this movie. Like, she manages to make palatable the melodrama. So that's that's not uh, that's not an easy feat. I thought that you would comment on this because I also noticed it. At first, I felt like it was like just a less convincing performance because at first, my first time through, I was like, because of the things I just talked about where I didn't really feel consistent, I was like, I don't know if she invested enough time into trying to figure out the role or like how her affectations should come off but then the second time through i did appreciate how it was just a little bit more subtle like you said there were definitely still parts of it that just seemed incongruous throughout the movie but i did appreciate that it didn't feel like like we've talked about in the past, just someone trying to see how well they can be disabled. It didn't really feel like that. Like it felt like she was trying to let the disability sort of fall behind her personality, which is really, really hard to do when you're playing a disabled role, but also something like ALS, which is so physically complex. So being able to make such a intricate disability sort of fall to the wayside to the personality, I felt like that was pretty impressive. It felt like that did a favor for really representation. It kind of I kind of know what you mean. There's a there's a humility to the performance where it was clear that you didn't get the vibe that she's vying for an Oscar basically or that right. uh, that her performance in particular monopolized um was meant to monopolize our attention it was more even that her performance was more focused around how a person in this situation may handle these changes coming at her exactly rather than how can i hillary swank be the best depiction of als for sure yeah i mean and i always sort of find fascinating movies um in which terrible things happen to to otherwise well-mannered uh and patient 
and generous people. Like one of my favorite movies to revisit on a frequent basis is A Serious Man. And it's it's just all about this life of a of a professor falling apart at every angle. And it's but he's very clearly a gentle, uh, kind individual. And he just doesn't know how everything could possibly, how he could be so constantly bombarded by these disappointments and betrayals and just like uh, unfortunate turns of fate. And it's like watching him go through this crisis because he's a good person makes it more interesting. It's like uh, Hillary Swank's lack of rage makes the moments where she does get upset more palatable or like more, more, more impactful. It kind of reminded me of, remember in Me Before You, when Amelia Clark is describing the person she doesn't want to become? She's like, yeah, like, I don't want to be that person who has her lips always pursed together, talking about her favorite whatever, whatever. Yeah, she doesn't want to become a snob. Yeah, and this movie kind of explored what if that person... Mom, which feels like a, a harsh word, but became disabled and was sort of forced to look inward as a result. And like your disability can almost force you to introspect. And there is an arc through this movie where Hillary Swank kind of realized this life that she made for herself wasn't really the life that she wanted for herself. Yeah, And only through being disabled did she really have time or was she really able to introspect enough on that to realize it? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, it sort of sounds like we really like this movie, but I don't, yeah. there's there's some major caveats here. Like obviously- I would give it like a six out of 10. I would give it a six too. Yeah. Like I think, I, I wish it had a better script. I obviously wish it had the involvement of somebody with ALS because it seems like it really didn't at all uh, based on how road it is. I want to say something about that because there is this character that comes in maybe halfway through the movie. Uh, it's like another person further along in her diagnosis or prognosis with ALS. Yep. They meet at a ALS swim class or something. You know, she's a very fun-loving, kind-spirited person who is there to kind of teach Hillary, but also the audience, what we were talking about, how, you know, disability can breed intimacy and force you to reflect on what matters to you most in life, and just sort of giving a positive spin on what otherwise able-bodied viewers and some disabled people maybe would see as a very grim diagnosis yeah it's just this person who has like who's a little bit more centered and has come to terms with her identity as a wheelie why not cast someone with als in this role yeah now, i know it's probably very difficult because als is a very quickly degenerating disability and you know at least have people with als in the pool in the background or something <laughs> and make it more obvious. Yeah. But it just really felt like this was the moment to have this relatively minor character be a real person with ALS. 
Also, the actress that they use for this role, I don't know who she is, but I do know that she's been in a number of really excellent uh, TV shows, uh, Boston Legal, uh, Boston Public. There's like a there's like a TV cinematic universe of um, institutional shows set in Boston. Yeah, Loretta something, I forget. Yeah, the actress in particular, though, is very, very good at monologuing, like delivery of, of long passages of dialogue in convincing and dramatically engaging ways, as you would for any David E. Kelly show that you uh, would take on as an actor. So I know the whole point of what I'm saying is that I know that she is a good performer, and she has a really bad case of wheelie voice in this movie. Yeah. And whether or not that is whether or not that is supposed to be an accurate reflection of ALS, it is pretty cringy. Yeah, I mean, like obviously, I don't have ALS, so I can't speak firsthand. Uh, I've worked with a number of people with it, and it is a wide range of manifestation, but. It did feel a little bit distracting. Like at that point, if you're going to go that hard, you really need to get somebody who's actually disabled. Because when you have yeah. that, if you, whenever you have an uncanny valley moment with somebody's impression of disability, it's not it's not even fun to watch. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I don't think her art was big enough that casting a non-actor who also has ALS would have been an insurmountable hurdle. For sure. I, like, I appreciate acting is not easy. And when people are like, just cast a disabled person, I'm like, yeah, but just because they're disabled doesn't necessarily mean they'll breathe enough life into a role to make it believable. But there are some roles, and I think this is one of them where they maybe could have just used someone with ALS. I mean, the whole point of the fucking role is to, is literally to sit there and be disabled. Right. And and basically just, she doesn't have a lot of lines. Her point is to be like, no, I'm still happy. In fact, I like my life more now than I did before. Yeah. Because it's forced me to appreciate things more or whatever. Yeah, she's the fucking personification of a Hallmark card. I mean, right. like, at, at worst. I mean, it would be different, I suppose. Like, this whole idea of, like, you know, a disabled actor should still be a qualified actor, I think is what you're trying to say. And I, I, I agree with that to a point. Like, I don't want to be hired as a developer without sufficient developer experience, you know, just because I'm disabled. I don't think it's fair to say if there is a disabled role, it should be given to a disabled person unless the disabled person is also able to act. Now, of course... There are many disabled actors. We've talked to some of them on the podcast. Yep. But acting isn't easy. So if you really want to breathe life into a character to make it resonate with the audience, I don't think it's fair to just pick the first disabled person who matches the physical description of what you're looking for. <laughs> for sure. Like it's a it's a tough it's a tough tightrope to walk it because is. you're like well they got to be qualified but then you know obviously disabled people have fewer opportunities to act right yada 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 blah 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 but anyway all we're saying is that this particular role wouldn't have even demanded much of a non-actor right exactly they could literally just go on camera and describe their 
fucking life as though it's an Errol Morris documentary and then shoehorned it into the script because that's really how much they inform the fucking story for the most part. But um, if you need an actor for this role, you need someone who can act, say a few lines, and also pass as a certain stage of disabled with ALS. So, yeah, I'm just saying prioritize ALS in this case because the acting parts probably won't be that complicated. Can we shift for a second? I would like to talk about sexuality again. Yeah, me too. I hate the way that the infidelity is handled in this movie. I fucking hate it so much. Yeah. Like, like uh, first of all, the the man who plays her husband, what's his name, like Josh Dumal? Yeah, something like that. I mean, it's like, obviously his name is Josh, but he, he looks like uh, discount Timothy Oliphant. Ugh, no name brand fucking... The uh, generically handsome dick bag. Oh, when you said that, I pictured Timothy Chalamet. I was like, "What?" No, I wouldn't slag him. He's an up and coming actor. He's doing his best. I'm just slagging this guy who clearly thinks that he should be Timothy Oliphant's stunt double. <clears throat> okay. Um, roasted. Hope he listens to this. Do you ever think about when you say something like that that they're out there? No. No, they're just. They're just a person, a name at the end of a movie. I like to think that most celebrities, I mean, any public figure has come to terms with the fact that some pleb with a podcast like me is going to slag them off at some point. Yeah, that's true. And also, I I respect people who can take a fucking roast on the chin, you know? Like, I, 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 don't, I hope that's not toxic masculinity. <laughs> I don't like, think I, that's a roast. Well, an insult or whatever. Like some, some people should be able to laugh at themselves. And I think I think that a good insult is is tantamount to a compliment. I I love a good insult. What? Yes. I, I no because if because if you can no, put me, no hold You're on not let, get me to agree with you. Let let me sit up and make my fucking point. <laughs> All I'm saying is that sometimes. Like, you've hit me with a couple of haymakers throughout our friendship. Yeah, okay. I like a good insult with a friend. Someone I already know. You've already established a mutual adoration. You already know that he's coming from a place of love. But, like, to a stranger, you haven't earned that insult yet. Well, I mean, Josh Dumal is, like, a handsome millionaire. Like, with a lot of purchase in Hollywood. You're only saying that now because of this whole conversation. <laughs> if I never called you out on it, it would have ended with dollar store Oliphant, keep going. <laughs> I already don't really like Timothy Oliphant. So the fact that this fucker is a carbon copy of him, it just it's just worse. I just, yeah, I mean, I don't have hard opinions about people I don't know. You know what? There are people I know that I don't like. Do you know why I spend time to form all this vitriol toward uh, people who don't matter? Because it's good fodder for the podcast? Yeah, because it gets a fucking laugh. That's all it uh -huh. is. I'm just a fucking uh, laugh slut. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, continue. Because yes, I do agree that the infidelity in this movie is handled terribly from all angles. By the way, I would not be as mad at this character or this actor if uh, the infidelity wasn't so terrible. So there's another fucking rationalization for you. Yeah. Um, can we play a clip? Because there's a moment where Shithead tries to rationalize what he did. You should know 
It wasn't. It wasn't just sex, okay? It was. I just needed. I just needed to touch someone without hurting them, that's all. But I just want you to know that I'm sorry. Can I tell you a very traumatic thing that happened to me once? Okay. One time I was with someone and it was like going on for a little while. She asked to start seeing other people, not to break up, but like to make it an open relationship. Uh huh. And her quote was, I just miss getting fucked. Yeah. Have I already told you this on here? You have, yeah. Off podcast, you told me. Oh, off podcast? Yeah, it for the that 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 quotes it destroys my soul. Yeah, it destroyed yeah. my soul, and that all came coming back when he said this, motherfucker. Exactly. So you know my rage. Yeah. So so discount Timothy Oliphant. Fuck him. <laughs> I still am not as the actor. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that is a real thing that happens, and it's devastating when it happens. Because, again, you just don't feel like a full person anymore. No. And this apology is, I think, first of all, I don't really know what he means. It wasn't just sex. Like, he's saying there's more to it than sex. Wouldn't it be better if you said it was just sex? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he says, like, I just didn't want to hurt you because you're fragile now. And First of all, she doesn't have a disabled vagina. No, like, she's still fine. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. She can still have showers. For sure. And that seems to be the only place you have sex. Yeah, she could still have sexy showers by the seashore. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, really stupid. I, um, <laughs> I don't like how much that got me. <laughs> I feel like a laugh slut now. All right, so... This apology isn't supposed to make the viewer side with him again? I think so. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's the point where we're supposed to be won over by him. Because that's the turning point in the movie where she starts to let him back into her life. She's like, I wasn't just me. Or it wasn't just you. I did this too. I let you fall in love with a different version of me that wasn't me. So it's my fault and you don't deserve to have to ruin your life to be with a disabled person. Yeah. Like that, all of that is so toxic. The idea that you are less than if you're disabled and you don't deserve all of the things you did when you were able-bodied or that your able-bodied counterparts do is so bad. It also it promotes the idea that disabled people, even after they overcome the impossible hurdle of infidelity in a relationship like should be shouldn't be conditioned to want monogamy like it's an unreasonable expectation uh so and then it also plays into this idea that we can't have an active sex life because we're prone to injury which is so fucking stupid as well or like because you can't use your first favorite first five favorite pages of the Kama Sutra and you have to like get creative or something yeah. And like, you're not having sex if it doesn't look like these three things. For sure. So like, sex is a prescribed thing that must be a certain way. And in the absence of that, it's not real sex. Yeah. Which is 
terrible. So instead of having this bullshit apology scene, they could have reconciled by having sex. <laughs> yeah. And then that would have made it a better, more interesting movie as well. Where he's like, I just want to, you know, meet your needs sexually in a way that doesn't hurt you. Yeah. That would have been super hot. Yeah. If they had sex and he was like very mindful of her needs and making sure that she was enjoying herself and obviously not getting hurt. That would have been such a better direction. For sure. Then you would have been almost totally on board with her um, spending her final days with her husband and her parents. The other thing, like in the beginning of the movie, when she first, when she has her first uh, crippled shower and the husband is clearly not scrubbing the balls thoroughly. Right. um, She's also sitting on a fucking piece of patio furniture. That's a thing. No, that's not an acceptable shower chair. Those are like pretty standard. You can buy them at like nice shoppers. Fuck off. Yeah, no, it's a real thing. So like, I hated that because I'm like, they're the richest people in the world. And suddenly she becomes disabled and she's got to sit on patio furniture. Like, go fuck yourself. I see what you're saying. But you know what I bet? Maybe they didn't even think this through. They probably did just go to the dollar store and get, or at the drugstore and get this thing. But if I was to overanalyze to try to excuse it, if I was super rich and then I became disabled after being rich, I could see myself, well, maybe not me, but I could understand a person being like, I just want the minimal thing. The more extravagant commode chair makes me look more disabled. It's the same reason she didn't use a power chair. Yeah. Because it made her feel more sick. Yeah. So in her mind, using patio furniture is a better way for her to be like, oh, it's just a lawn chair in the shower. Uh, Oh, that's a good point. So coping with an insufficient solution is, is a sort of indirect way of saying I'm not disabled. Right. I am so guilty of that. I know. <laughs> That's why you sent me the fucking link to my power chair toggle switch because you're like, because otherwise it would be like that for years. For two years. Until yeah. you got a new chair. Yeah. I've literally worn the padding off of my foot pedals from years of freaking out while playing Rocket League. I mean, from yeah. years of productive usage. But you know what's funny? Because I've thought about this quite a bit. To rationalize it for myself, if you can find a way to maximize your ability by leveraging what is available to you as a disabled person, yeah, you can actually make yourself more functionally independent. Yeah, obviously. So what you're doing is actually counterproductive. Yeah, and you, that's why people call you Tony Stark. They don't call you, excuse me, some shitty non-famous inventor. <laughs> <laughs> Like Albert Einstein, the inventor of gravity. <laughs> that was low-hanging fruit, Tony. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why my fruit keep hanging lower and lower. <laughs> there was one thing I liked about this that seemed pretty inside baseball and insightful for a movie that otherwise felt ill-informed. Mm-hmm. And that is that there were a few pretty funny awkward handshakes in this movie. Oh, I barely noticed. No, I didn't notice. 
But I didn't really notice my first time through. So like, it's understandable. But we've probably talked about this. But as a wheelie, the awkward handshake is kind of a staple in the disabled experience. It is. People always reach for my weak hand. That used to happen to me as a kid. Like I had a fucking phys ed teacher who would always like make jokes about how strong my upper body must be because I'm constantly on my upper body in a walker. And he would always like squeeze my left bicep, which like recounting this to you in retrospect seems like a weird kind of uh, assault. (laughs) But (laughs) here's what happens. Someone reaches out to give you a handshake and then quickly realizes that you might not be able to reciprocate mm-hmm. that handshake. Yeah. So what happens is they'll either give you a fist bump or a tap on the hand. But what I've, I've figured it out. The worst it gets is the furthest it gets from the hand. So sometimes someone will go in for a handshake and then they'll be like, oh, and they'll tap you on the head. And that's like the worst. Oh my God. One time I had someone reach for my hand Instead of just giving me a fist bump, fist bump is the best thing you can do. If you reach out and you're like, oh, wait, they're not going to be able to grab my hand, then a fist bump is fine. Because it's like still hand to hand, pretty common, yeah. not, that weird. <laughs> not that weird. But the further you go from the hand, well, the further you go from the hand, the yeah. weirder it gets. I remember one time someone reached out, went in for the awkward handshake, realized it wasn't going to happen, and then... Touched me toe to toe. Like that was his <laughs> that was his next reaction was, oh, I'll just kick him with my shoe. Oh my god. And that was the worst one. So I didn't know what it is. <laughs> That's the worst <laughs> one. I never forgave him. I have a coworker who uses my foot pedals jokingly as an ottoman sometimes. Right. Like if I spend too much time in his cubicle, he'll put his feet on my uh, foot pedals and i do actually think it's funny but it's more like an inside baseball like friendship joke than anything else there, there's a level of you know like the the common thing is don't put your hands on someone's wheelchair or you know their wheelchair is part of their personal space that is true to an extent mm-hmm. but when you're when you already have a rapport with them it kind of changes. It does. I've been in line at the grocery store and a stranger will hang their bag on my chair for a second while they go through their purse. And that's weird. That is fucked up. That's weird. But when it's like friends or family, then there's almost like uh, a level of acknowledgement of your closeness. It's affectionate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that line is really funny because in the in the grocery instance, they're literally objectifying you. They're like, oh, here's a place to put my shit yeah. for a second. It'd be funny if, like, they just hand their coat but, like over your face. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, your nose is a perfect hook. <laughs> here, let me put this here for a second. I would actually, that would actually make my life. I would die if someone did that. To That'd me. be another funny skit. Like, I'll go into a store and we'll bring a friend but like undercover and have yeah. them just start progressively hanging stuff on me and see how long it takes someone to be like dude that's not cool <laughs> yeah that would be amazing <laughs> like at first it's just like they put their wallet on my armrest 
But then they're like, I can't find my keys. And then they grab their jacket and throw their jacket on my chair and just <laughs> progressively until I'm covered in their belongings. <laughs> they eventually like uh, turn off your automatic brakes and use you as a like an interim shopping cart. <laughs> they start like throwing like fruits and vegetables in your lap and shit. And I'll just be like, sorry, do I know you? <laughs> <laughs> and then wait until we see like how long it takes before someone's like, sorry, you can't be doing this. Uh, I'm sure nobody would intervene. Uh, we've been thinking a lot of, of a lot of good sketches lately. And it's awesome because now that we have Patreon, we can do some of these and then release them to our Patreon subscribers. I need to come to Ottawa in the summer. Like, I need to make it part of my goal just so we can start recording sketches. Yeah. We've come up with a few on air and some even funnier ones off air. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. I need to get my life together just for this. Just move here. I know. I'll do it. I promise I'll do it. Okay. I have more than one. I have more than one good friend who's like, Jamie, move. Yeah. Jamie, let's go. Come on. Jamie. There is another moment I wanted to talk about with this movie. Okay. Again, a parallel moment to the upside, but it's a moment where the disabled person uses their caregiver as an externalization of their emotions uh in the upside it's like a rage room where they smash a bunch of stuff and in this movie emmy rosem starts screaming because hillary swank wants to scream the exact line uh was i have so much inside me but nothing comes out yeah i mean it's a direct parallel with uh with uh, the upside, you're right. Yeah. And one other movie. These movies definitely echo each other in a myriad of ways. It really resonates. And I talked about how much it resonated with me during the upside. But the same thing happened where here, it's, it's very compelling to see someone understand that there are certain ways that humans can express their emotions, whether it's Happiness, joy, celebration, frustration, anger could be anywhere along that spectrum. We, as disabled people, sometimes can't. Yeah, despite feeling the emotion in full. Right. And so it is like this external manifestation. Even with someone else doing it for you, it might not feel the same, but it still is a vicarious outlet for you. Mm -hmm. And that's where the title of the movie comes from you're not you because she's basically saying i need you to translate for me right now and to just express how i'm feeling i don't want you to insert yourself into this moment i want you to just be me right and it's in fact not selfish no because it also helps emmy realize that there are moments where you know she should factor herself out of the equation right Again, like this is such a common theme in my life where I just feel like I have to fight for things that I've been socialized to view as luxuries <laughs> that maybe aren't luxuries, but they're just things that I want to be able to do. And I wish that I could really instill this notion in people like my attendants 
I really just want you to humor me and just placate me sometimes with like this weird ingredient that I want to put on my thing. Just just let me do it. Ingredient you want to put on what your food? Sure. <laughs> if I if I say, can you give me a mouthful of Kleenex to swallow? I want someone to just be like, okay. <laughs> Do they guess. blow into it first? Oh no. <laughs> so here's the thing, like I I agree with everything that you're saying. It's another virtue of the film that it lives up to its title and that it has like a kind of emotional crescendo involving the title. But I don't really like the trope of these movies having awkward titles like me before you and you're not you and uh you after v and t before you yeah you wanted to be called wheelchair the movie (laughs) yeah yeah be what it is or something i don't know just like awkward titles i don't know i've always been bad at titles titles for what in general i overthink same reason i've been self-conscious about the title of this podcast since ever we loved that title when we first thought of it, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna defend it till the end of the podcast. I know. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's that's our title. Sorry, not sorry. Well, you're not me. <laughs> Bazinga. Never did this. Did what? Nothing. Maybe that's what's wrong with my life. I didn't know this was doing nothing. So this sort of tailors to your point about the movie stressing that one can find serenity in disability. And because this woman, when she was able-bodied, she was upper class. She was obviously far too busy to acknowledge the smaller moments in life. So... You know, she's suddenly out in nature, which you can hear the birds chirping. She's out of her overly geometric and accessible house, and she's embracing nothing and being very zen and spiritual and blah, 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 blah. But, but <laughs> like, one of the, like, undercurrents of that stupid fucking quote is that disabled people do nothing. And I don't like that. Oh, was that the undercurrent? Yeah. In the summer, one of my favorite activities is to do nothing under a tree. I agree. I agree. Like I, we used to go to the park and play chess. Yeah. Like two old men. And uh, I liked that a lot. Yeah. I liked it a lot. But I'm just saying like, this is a movie that thinks that uh, Hillary Swank doesn't have sex after she becomes disabled. She has no friends. All of her friends leave her. Her husband fucking cheats on her. And in her spare time, she does nothing. (laughs) Like, it's like, like, Fuck a fuck movie. We should call the movie Nothing, The Wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. Or I thought they could also call this movie The Wheel Mile, uh, which is like a reference to The Green Mile, which is the walk from your jail cell to death. Your puns are just so atrocious. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll wear that as a badge of honor. You know that a good insult is better than a compliment. (laughs) it is sometimes but you know what i'm saying because this movie is like uh, like constantly in the shadow of hillary swank's eventual death so it should be called the wheel mile but yeah like uh, all i'm saying is that this movie does not really have any fucking like uplifting ideas of what it means to be a disabled person despite that it 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 flirts with uh 
with some spiritual crap on occasion. Okay, I disagree a little. I think that it does try to make the connection that being weak or being disabled can strengthen your connection with the people around you by virtue of having to empathize to get what you need from them or just by virtue of having no other way to connect than to connect emotionally. Yeah. There is something there, I think. Because at the end, when that character who also has ALS that we talked about earlier, she eventually dies, Mm -hmm. of course. Of course. And that is a teaching tool for Hilary Swank to die better. Sure. In that death, her husband writes a letter that he gives to all of his all of her friends. Yeah, the fucking weepy eulogy that ends all these movies. It's a great letter though. Uh-huh. Maybe it was the delivery, but there was a line about it basically talking about Lou Gehrig and how because Lou Gehrig did say in his I'm quitting baseball speech basically the same thing that adversity had weakened his body but strengthen his connection to the others around him or something like that. I can relate to that. I do think that my disability has given me the ability to connect with people because I... I would say it's probably uh, contributed to 15% of your coolness. Sweet. (laughs) Yeah, so like being 20% cool, that's pretty significant. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I don't want to. I'm tired of settling for stories like this. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Like I said, the first time through, I had a lot more of a negative reaction to it. Mm -hmm. I think when the movie ended, I was like, well, that was a movie. Yeah, that's exactly what you said in that tone. And I laughed. And this second time through, I don't know, maybe it just hit me different because it was a different day or something. You know what? Like, I would like a movie... uh, where Hilary Swank uh, gets Lou Gehrig's disease and then goes on a bender with Emmy Rosam. And she doesn't die at the end. I mean, the thing about Lou Gehrig's disease, unless it is true that Stephen Hawking had Lou Gehrig's, it seems to be a very steep, really rough trajectory. So you're constantly just coping with the changes. It's like once you get diagnosed, it's like a matter of years, usually. Yeah. Which is why it's so unbelievable that Stephen Hawking had ALS. I just want an anti-cripple movie. I agree. Not a movie that doesn't support cripples, but just one in which, you know, somebody gets a disability and they don't try, and they don't suddenly self-actualize. Yeah, they're not trying to have some healthy realization. Yeah. They just, like, go on a crazy bender, go, like, hook up with a bunch of people they shouldn't be hooking up with and yeah. make a bunch of bad decisions because the world is ending anyway. I mean, that, that, I mean, that does sound depressing in synopsis. I just mean, take every single one of these fucking tropes and subvert them. No, I think you can make a good movie, like a sort of like good girl gets disabled, turns to like rock star, live hard and fast lifestyle, and realizes, you know, she... Uh, was overlooking some of the finer things in life by trying to be too caught up in like self-image and stuff. Disability disconnects her from her previous social status 
from her class and from her tenure. Yeah. And now suddenly she has to go on a a bender. And it could be a thoughtful, interesting bender, one you don't expect, not necessarily entirely self-destructive and not necessarily like beat you over the head with positive life affirmation BS. I'd be fine if it was self-destructive because at least it would show that, again, like we've been saying, wheelies can be self-destructive. Yeah. It would be cool to show the gamut. The movies, like this movie for sure does it. A lot of movies we've covered do it where the wheelie element is there to inspire you. Yeah. It's just that if all these movies were true, like if every disability was an opportunity for uh, personal growth, there would be like dozens of crippled Gandhis, but they don't exist. I never met right. a fucking, I never met a crippled uh, life guru in my life, which is why I think we need to go, we need to execute that, that fucking uh, sketch idea that we came up with. That would be so funny. Pick up my pencil off the ground until you become a better person. <laughs> Yeah. Wipe harder, you will meet God. <laughs> Reorganize my closet, you'll know what to do after. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, anything else you want to add? No, this has been a really fun episode, Tony. Yeah, it's great to talk to you again. You too. Take care. Bye, everyone. Yeah. <laughs>